Welcome to the Thanks Therapy podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I am Dr. Emma Lydon, and this is our Therapy Appreciation Podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! Here we are, Hannah, on episode 19. We've had a wee bit of a break over the we holiday time. Holiday festivities. Yes. Jubilation. We're, we're exhausted from them now, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm just, everyone has coronavirus. Yeah. COVID. Most people Most have people. It. Me and you were a question mark. We're in the same room recording. I know. But I have been coughing. Yes. Well, we also know some people who've been coughing and don't have COVID because there's other bugs going about. It's just that time of year. It's super fun winter time. It's winter time. It's January 2nd today. It is, yeah. And it's such a nothingy sort of a day. So it's good that we're doing this today. It is. Well, this time of year is, I feel like it's a naturally reflective time. Mm, absolutely. And honestly, for me, there was no way to avoid doing a kind of a reflective review type episode to cap off the year. However, we want to talk about more than our own journey. We want to talk about the collective experience we have been having globally for the past two years now mm. and how and why that is affecting people psychologically. How could it not, really? I know, that's true. So actually, though, a good place to start would be to reflect on the Thanks Therapy journey this year, which I have enjoyed so much creating this podcast with you, Hannah. Thank you. It actually still blows my mind that we've managed to make this and that it's, you know, going well and listened to globally and enjoyed by people. Do you have a favourite moment, Hanzo, from the past 18 episodes? Um, well, I'm pretty much in awe that we have consistently made the podcast. Yes. <laughs> because I am someone, in general, I need a premium amount of alone time. And uh, I also started a master's degree this year. Yeah. And that took up some of that. That continues to be demanding. Yes. Um, <laughs> it tends to do that. You yeah. also finished a PhD. I did, yeah. That is, I've heard, also quite taxing. So really the fact that we did it at all is is quite impressive. I know. And we were also both people who tried to do loads of things mm -hmm. and then run out of time for said things. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm more likely to. You tend to actually do your things. I do. I just work myself into the ground, basically. <laughs> just yeah. Just do things. I don't like doing that. I prefer not to do that, but sometimes it happens. I was thinking about this recently because I'm not generally good at getting into routines and sticking to them. Mm -hmm. I'm much more of a start something and then abandon it type gal. Yes. Um. So there's, if there's even a slight amount of resistance or any challenging circumstances, I will just not do my extra projects. And this podcast is a notable exception to that pattern for mm -hmm. me. And the only other one that I can think of is therapy. Mm. Those are the things that I've stuck to more so than any of my other things that I've taken up and dropped over yeah. the past couple of years. So that is significant, I think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it might you might find that it was more to do with the things and less to do with your personality as to why you maybe weren't sticking to them. Maybe they just didn't suit you at that time in your life and maybe you are a person who can stick to things. You're being nice there, but <laughs> I think it is a part of my personality where I am like, I'm going to get really into this. I do it for a while. And then like yoga, for example, I think I've mm. talked about before in this podcast, I got really into it. My bum looked so great and mm. then I stopped doing it and I have maybe done it once since yeah. the main part of the pandemic. I, I I identify with that, I have to say. I would have been, I think I'm quite like that, mm -hmm. um, but I definitely would have been more like it before. Like, I'm writing a book, I'm going to write this book, it's a novel, I'm doing a lot of research for this <laughs> and that goes on for a couple of months of intenseness and then just it's dropped. Yeah. There's, I have a lot of dropped projects in my past but anyway it's just nice to be curious about things yeah absolutely try stuff out but I don't really have like one favorite moment 
What I really like is when people write into us and we get to play Agony Ant because that is, it's really nice that people trust us, firstly. Yeah. And also giving advice is really fun. Yeah. And I like it. And I like <laughs> to give people advice and sound really smart and then not do any of those things myself. <laughs> um, but on a serious note, thank you to everyone who wrote in, tweeted at us, replied to our Instagram stories, shared the podcast with their friends, all of those things. We really need that. And I really enjoyed those things. So I think that's my favorite moment is when people were like, hey, we like your podcast. Here's my problem. And yeah. Some of the problems were very um, honest and, and very brave of people to write them in. They so really I were. really respect that from our listeners. Thank you, listeners. Yeah. Um, I... I would agree with that. I think definitely one of my favorite things is when people contact us, not just writing in problems, but also like just sending us messages, commenting on stories. It's so cool. And I would love to know more about all of those people because I feel like at this point they know like loads about us, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. Um, That's actually a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, yeah, sometimes I do think about it and I think, God, these people have listened to ours of us talking about stuff that's kind of personal to us as well as just generally us sharing our personalities and things mm. and so I'm curious about them is the thing you know because yeah. I feel like it's a there's a um, a mismatch there but anyway um I also enjoy coming up with comedy titles <laughs> Although, yeah you're good you're pretty good at that actually well sometimes not being able to find a good title can delay the release of an episode <laughs> like that's happened before um <laughs> And we've given ourselves an extra task with that. I do feel it's worth it, though, because I do enjoy the titles, um, even if maybe other people don't care so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just been good fun. We're still enjoying it. We're still doing it. Episode 19 and we're still here, baby. 19. So basically, I wanted to do um, a review of the year. And so I have... Got a jingle for that, obviously. Yes. It's basically based on the blankety blank jingle. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I don't know what that is, and I'm interested. Well, it's because you're too young, you see. But oh. blankety blank was a brilliant program, and my jingle for review of the year is review of the year, review of the year, <laughs> review of the year, review of the year. What it, right? is that? What blankety so blankety blank, is? blank was basically. Blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank. Blankety blank. What is blankety blank? Is it a film? <laughs> no, it was a quiz show. Oh, oh I do you know squares, what that is. Yes. Blank hexagons, I think. Um, and yeah, it was just one of those quiz shows with letters. I watched it when I was a kid, so I don't really remember it that it well. It is a quiz. It is a quiz. It's a quiz show. It's yeah. a quiz show. Is and that you, it? And you had to make... Um, you know, you had to make a line of hexagons across the board <laughs> by filling in the blank space. Like Scrabble, but with hexagons. Yeah, but it might have been words rather than letters. I actually can't remember it that well. Is this real? Yeah, I promise you it's real. <laughs> Sounds like some. sometimes I forget that you grew up in like this, this 80s. I did, yeah. And I think of that as a bygone era that... I know. Nobody living has memories from, even though that is mathematically inaccurate. And also, whenever I was born in 1982, and um, so, that you know, obviously in the early 80s, the, the from my earliest memories, for me, I feel like everything still looked like the 70s because everything was yeah. so brown. Everything was brown. Brown <laughs> and orange. Those were the main <laughs> colours of everything. Still, yeah. so by 1985, we hadn't really painted anything or like thought, <laughs> let's have colours other than brown about. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a bygone era for sure. It's definitely and gone. also all the media that you described to me, like blankety blank sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> it was really good. And it was a good is show. Is it like, is there a man who presents it and he has mm -hmm. terrible hair and a moustache? Um, he definitely didn't have good hair, but I can't actually even remember his face right now. We'll look it up. We'll put a picture on Instagram when we're putting this episode up. People will be like, oh, blankety blank. This is a litmus Why? test for the listeners to find out if you are um, a millennial or if you're Gen X. So the thing is, is that I am what's called an elder millennial. Yeah. So I'm at the, I am you're a millennial, but I'm on the cusp. Mm -hmm. And... 
Um, I don't think we have anybody. Well, no, obviously we have some people listening here who are not millennials, who are older than me. But generally, our listenership seems to be just millennials. Oh, my people. So that's who we're, we're appealing to, clearly. Anyway, to get back to this review of the year. Review of the year. Review, review of, of the year. year. Review of the year. Review of the year. <laughs> I the pause. The you have to do the big pause. Stressful. Yeah. Um, so I have a few things I wanted to talk about from the past year. One thing I wanted to touch on mm-hmm. um, was a big story that happened in the past year um, was during the Tokyo Olympics. Simone Biles did something incredible and withdrew from the competition. At the height of her career, she put her mental health first. So I was interested in this when it happened for a couple of reasons. One was the reaction of the general public, which I think was broadly supportive. But there was also a not insignificant um, expression from some people that were saying things like she was throwing away such an opportunity and could she not just man up in inverted commas. Rude. I know. And the thing is, is she was suffering from a condition known as the twisties which I was fascinated by as well. So when you're a gymnast and you throw yourself up in the air and twist around and all that, you basically have to overcome your body's desire not to be somersaulted around. Absolutely. Um, and they train from such a young age to to basically overcome that that um, mental block to twisting yourself around in midair. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I have to be careful if I stand up too fast. Yeah. So... <laughs> Gymnasts train and train for years to allow themselves to do it. And the twisties is a condition where your spatial awareness goes mid-flight, I believe. And that can mean you can't land the jumps and has resulted in serious life-altering injuries for athletes. So it's not just something you can man up from, whatever nonsense statement that is anyway. But like also that's dangerous. It's so dangerous. really frightening. Yeah, but... It's no less dangerous or frightening than any other mental health condition. And that's what we, you know, that's what's interesting about it. So she had something specifically to do with her sport, which meant meant it was dangerous for her to compete. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would argue that any mental health condition is something that's serious and should be taken seriously. Yes. You know, so that's the first thing. So she came out and spoke about this and quit the Olympics to focus on her health. And not before time too, because she had said in an interview that she should have quit years before. Because in fact, she was one of the gymnasts who was sexually abused by the team doctor who's now serving a life sentence. That's right. Larry Nassar mm-hmm. or some, I don't know how you say his name. I don't it's Larry care. Something. He, yeah. Um, she also testified this year mm-hmm. at, the, at, at the trial. And this is just a brave, brave person. Like we need to acknowledge that she's about as brave as they come. Yeah. To have all that pressure on you to win medals, and again, not to make this about me, but sometimes the pressure of choosing what to cook for the evening meal gets a bit much for me, hands. Yeah. And she has literally Olympic level pressure <laughs> on her globally, and she made the right decision to withdraw. Mm-hmm. So it's it's heartening then that she was named Time Magazine's Athlete of the Year, and she was the recipient of the BBC Lifetime Achievement award this year in a year when she won fewer medals than ever before in her career wow um and in an article for the guardian um kath bishop is the author of this article wrote are we at last starting to see beyond the shallow short-term glimmer of those round inanimate metallic objects and realizing that lasting success might look very different with greater impact and lasting value far beyond any metal discs Biles courage to step back under the global spotlight in Tokyo and put her own mental and physical health first sent shockwaves round the traditional win at all costs sporting world. In perhaps her swiftest and most agile of moves, she undercut our entrenched macho narratives around pain, sacrifice and drive to be the best at all costs and exposed them for what they are made up narratives that diminish rather than enhance performance, controlling mantras that constrain rather than inspire athletes. Hell yeah. Pretty nice. Pretty good article that was. Pretty good. So I just wanted to highlight this story as I do really think it's a leap forward in helping to destigmatize mental health and we have to thank her for that. Absolutely. Simone Biles, if you listen to this, 
Please tweet us. <laughs> wow, that would be oh amazing. Oh my God, imagine. I know. Um, that's amazing. And yeah, that's a really good thing to note about 2020 is, oh no, fuck 2021. Yeah, I know. It's 2021. I'm still in 20, I think mentally I'm in March 2020. I know. Because we, we're all traumatized. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> More on that later. That's gorgeous. She is probably one of the most incredible people ever born mm-hmm. in terms of talent and tenacity and strength and bravery and all those things. Yeah. Um, I was, I remember reading about her during the time when she was competing before she pulled out of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the focus of the article was like, not only is she the best gymnast in the world and probably ever in the sport, but it was highlighting like by how much she exceeds previous records and mm. how much, how, how, by how much she is the best. Yeah. And it's, I think... If you think about record breaking or or record breakers, mm-hmm. they break records by increments and then they are the top person in the world to hold whatever record. Yes. She destroys She's those records. She, it, the record held is arbitrary to her because she has a sort of superhuman ability. Yeah. Um, and I, was, I remember reading this and being totally like blown away mm-hmm. by this. Um. And the extent of her like talent and tenacity. I actually have a thing where I can't talk about her or read about her without becoming immediately emotional and nearly crying. Aww. And it's nearly happening. Because um, I think it like, it short circuits my brain mm-hmm. when someone is that excellent that their thing. Yeah. I also get it when I talk about Amy Winehouse. Aww. Where I can't deal. Um, like a like an over emotional great aunt at a party who's really <laughs> proud of all her, all the children and they're just all so like beautiful. how I am about dogs all the time. Yes, yeah. but yeah, it's it's very intense. Um, I also wanted to mention while we're talking about um women of color and their excellence, mm-hmm. Naomi Osaka, the the tennis player, yeah. did a similar thing this year during the French Open. She was struggling with her mental health and she refused to attend press press conference because she was experiencing extreme anxiety. Mm-hmm. And she was fined by the tournament, something insane, like $15,000. Oh which is actually a bit rude. And she was she was like, no, I'm not doing this. She withdrew from the French Open. And she, like, like Simone Biles, caught a lot of flack for it. And she wrote this really amazing essay in Time magazine. Mm-hmm. And I'll read you a bit of it. Um, but I think she is articulating more than what she's just talking about her own situation. And also, she's articulating so much of what we are struggling with in our current culture mm. at this stage in the pandemic. And also just displaying like this really brave, quiet power in defending her mental health and her choices. So she writes, I felt under a great amount of pressure to disclose my symptoms, frankly, because the press and the tournament did not believe me. She's talking about her anxiety there, mm. I think. I do not wish that on anyone. And I hope that we can enact measures to protect athletes, especially the fragile ones. I also do not want to have to engage in in a scrutiny of my personal medical history ever again. Mm. So I ask the press for some level of privacy and empathy next time we meet. She's, I mean, she's yeah, telling Yeah, I know, this for. is very strong. The world is as divided now as I can remember in my short 23 years. Issues that are so obvious to me at face value, like wearing a mask in a pandemic or kneeling to show support for anti-racism are ferociously contested. I mean, wow. So when I said I needed to miss French open press conferences to take care of myself mentally I should have been prepared for what unfolded she is I mean that was taking the whole thing to task it and is, saying yeah. why why is this the way that everyone behaves the whole I recommend if anyone's interested in that read the whole I would like to statement yeah. because it's amazing and um it, there's something about the language is like really straightforward it is very straightforward but also it, she makes the point so well I think um you know she she tried to make a decision and it was just the the response was chaotic mm-hmm. and it and and required her to then do things that she didn't want to do and mm-hmm. that she was trying to avoid doing and it does seem like that is the way things go now you know and yeah. i mean the press is a whole other can of worms that we can't even get into because they've definitely got a lot to answer for in a lot of these situations yeah um, but I'm so much about this. I love looking out into the world and seeing these incredible young people. Is she 23? 23. Carrying through on these actions that have previously been very, very scary, like standing up to big institutions, 
or just standing up for yourself. And by doing that, they're supporting others to stand up for themselves and recognise their own importance. Mm. Another very notable person from this year is the consistently incredible Tom Daly. He's so beautiful. I almost wanted to say Sir Tom Daly because I so see a knighthood in his future. I hope so, yeah. I, I mean, almost certainly. But So he is doing a lot to support and destigmatize out gay athletes in sport. Mm-hmm. And I hope, fingers crossed, that there's a tide about to turn with regard to being more supportive of LGBTQI plus athletes, mm-hmm. um, with Tom definitely leading the charge. Um, he's also spoken about his own mental health and actually... He had an alternative Christmas message. I don't know if you saw it on Channel 4. I didn't see that. Where he talked about Simone Biles. Um, He's really into knitting. He's got really, really into knitting. Oh, yeah, he knitting. Well, he actually did that to help with his mental health. That's why he first got into knitting, you know. So these are some incredible people who are speaking up and being amazing. And we thank them. We, in our own small destigmatizing mission, are also all about bigging up incredible others who are out there doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think in reflecting back, as you tend to do at this time of year, I've been thinking a lot about how we're globally dealing with this pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's never far from our minds, are really. Are we dealing with it being <laughs> the main question? So have you heard the phrase pandemic, Brian Hannah? Yes, I have. And I'm going to self-diagnose... I think I have that. Yeah. I think it's safe to say if you haven't felt weird mentally in this, what feels like the 87th month of the pandemic, (laughs) then you have a fortitude unmatched. I saw someone refer to the time. Do you remember the vaccine time? Yes. When we were like, the vaccine's happening. Oh, my God. Uh This is great. Oh, it's over now. Yay. Someone tweeted and said, at least we can say that was the the light in the middle of the tunnel. And Mm. I was like, oh, my God. Like, stop being so funny, but also so depressing at the same time. People on the Internet. Um, Yes. What? Tell me about pandemic, Brian. So I don't know who coined this phrase, but it's essentially a concept that is pointing out the cognitive deficit that people have noticed in themselves. Oh, big so time. like brain fog, anxiety, memory problems, difficulty switching from one task to another. And the explanation for this is that we're going through something that is dysregulating our nervous system. Mm. So what do we mean by dysregulation of the nervous system? Um, if people haven't got into this yet, it's a very useful area to understand when thinking about our mental health, in particular stress and anxiety, and also our mind-body connection. So I studied health psychology and the central premise in health psychology is basically saying, hello, did you know your brain is in your body? <laughs> like, you know, it's they, in there. it's in there. They can't be separated. Yep. And for too long, we've had a biological or a medical model of treating mental health and or physical health in isolation from mental health. Yep. And, you know, so health psychology promotes the biopsychosocial model I of love understanding the biopsychosocial model <laughs> yeah um of understanding mental and physical health problems and the reason I'm doing this wee bit of psychology 101 is because it's all to do with the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system and so when you think about everything to do with stimulation and relaxation really in your body it's an action of the nervous system So the sympathetic nervous system is all about excitation and the parasympathetic is about inhibition. So um, the parasympathetic is also referred to as the rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And when you feel stressed and you can't eat, that's because your nervous system is dysregulated and it can't enter into the rest and digest phase. Sure, yeah. So when it comes to the pandemic, we have referred numerous times in this podcast to our initial reactions to the pandemic back to March 2020. See, freaking We're going out back was, there all the time. That was the primary reaction was freak out time. Yes, we were basically globally thrown into a very stressful situation, which was at the time a threat to our lives and the lives of those we loved and also disrupted our normal routines But then it went on for a long time. Yeah. So sometimes I divide it up in my head into chunks of like, oh, six months of like significant concern and stress and then like a year and a half of being more used to it. But ultimately, it's a type of situation that stimulated our sympathetic nervous system to warn us of this threat. And then it didn't really let up. So there wasn't the ability to pull back from that. Um, 
And to be honest, then stating that this will have an effect on your cognition or your well-being or your energy levels seems to be stating the blooming obvious. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the the initial shock of early 2020 Mm -hmm. and then just it continued to be bad, (laughs) like how could you not feel different and weird at the end of, I mean, I say the end as I I mean, currently, I do Mm. not feel weird now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we are, what you're saying, I think we are all in some way naturally or like biologically aware of this Mm -hmm. in ourselves, but maybe we don't have like the vocabulary to say the reason we all feel freaked out and exhausted is because our nervous systems have not not been given a break. Mm -hmm. Um, But we should totally get into it here. I think this is making me think about like, Throughout the whole pandemic experience, I have heard different people in work, friends, colleagues um, say, get, go into the stage of feeling like, I don't care. I can't deal with it anymore. I'm not thinking about it anymore. Yeah. I withdraw or, from this. I'm, I'm not going to worry about it anymore because yeah, I can't tolerate oh, it. Nobody mentioned the, the pandemic, like it's yeah. that sort of thing. Or kind of going into the other side, which is criticizing others for, for their indifference or their apathy and not yes. caring enough. And it's because we're all experiencing like a fatigue, mm-hmm. like physically in the terms you've described there, where you can't enter rest and digest mm-hmm. or emotionally. It's not sustainable to be in a constant state of fear, panic, apprehension No, for that long. And you cannot do that without reaching a point of burnout where you go, I, ca- I actually don't care because I can't anymore. Yes. It's, and it's not true when we say, oh, I don't care. I'm whatever. I, I'm over it. That's not true. We do we do all care quite deeply. But to acknowledge it every single day would result in us not being able to function normally in the things that we now have to keep doing, mm-hmm. like going to work, maintaining relationships, all against the background of a massive global health threat that is not getting any easier and we all wish was not happening, yeah. but does just keep on happening. Yeah. So that, I mean, to look at it that way, it's... I think we're all doing pretty well, actually, yeah. in, when you put it out like that. Mm, I think one of the things you pointed out there is that part of the difficulty with this situation is it has kept on going for two years now. Mm. And that means we haven't been able to exit it, certainly not fully. But um, the, just coming back to what I wanted to say about the nervous system a, a little bit more, if you are planning to level up this year, which is a new phrase that I'm trying out, um, <laughs> or... Maybe in working with your therapist, I would recommend looking into thinking about regulating your nervous system with polyvagal theory. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be brief about this because if you're at all interested, you should look up the website Rhythm of Regulation. Um, Basically, my therapist kept encouraging me to look into this for about six months. And I was like, yes, I will. Which, as any therapist listening will know, is short for I will not do this for many months to come. (laughs) (laughs) However, because I was then finishing um, and as sort of a self-protective idea, I did actually look into it. So basically, the theory posits that we cycle through different states in our nervous system every day and all the time. And so then there's a state of connection and two uh, states of protection, one of which is highly active or aroused and is run by the sympathetic nervous system, as we mentioned, and that's our fight or flight response, essentially. And the other is very flat, and it's referred to as dorsal. And this is what we might see when someone is depressed. They go very still. They they want to curl up in bed, that kind of thing. So what polyvagal theory is suggesting is that basically by learning about the nervous system and how it impacts on us and then finding a way to make that information useful to regulating the nervous system. Yeah. So some of the ways that this is done is through um, co-regulation and they emphasize how we're designed for connection with another nervous system. Like our, you know, our nervous system is primed or desires another nervous system to co-regulate with. And of course, that's there's nothing new in that because that's what mothers have been doing with babies or probably more correctly, what babies do with mothers. So babies use their mother's nervous system to regulate their own. And so that's if you're calm and you soothe them, they will calm and be soothed. And if you're stressed, then the baby might be stressed. So basically, the polyvagal theory is thinking about the, the nervous system like a ladder where you might be um, between different stages that include being calm, connected and social, um, highly activated and stressed and 
a dorsal stage where you you're withdrawn. Yeah, and that's it as simply as I can express it. But you should look up that website um, and yeah. rhythm of regulation. It's very very interesting. Yes, um, I have done quite a lot of polyvagal stuff in my own therapy, and it was something weirdly. It was something. I was working with before the pandemic began All right, and I was finding it really useful and it became even more relevant now that we are living in a state of chronic stress mm-hmm. um, and it massively affects your energy levels and sort of how you engage with the stress. And I think for me, knowing more about how my body responds under stress or what tendencies I have um, and how that theory can help is really useful. And if you think that's something that you would be interested in learning more about, it is really nice to be able to read about because it. it's quite, once you get to grips with all the different terminology, it's quite straightforward. It is very straightforward. Um, it's just there's different terms. Yeah. There's terms and it sounds sciencey and complicated, mm-hmm. but actually you, every single person ha- listening to this has a body and a nervous system. Yes. So you will read the things and go, oh yeah, that's how that feels. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really valuable. Um what I know now about myself that I did not know back in like 2017 mm-hmm. is that I am someone who very, very easily falls into the dorsal state, mm-hmm. which is where your body wants to protect itself, go inward, immobilize, go into sort of shutdown mode. Yeah. Um, which is really useful if you're actually in a life threatening situation where that is necessary for yes. your survival. But it's less useful when your brain misfires and thinks it's useful to go into that response at any kind of trigger mm-hmm. um, and then you can't do st- normal stuff because you are immobilized and you don't know why but the key thing here is that learning about this stuff has enabled me to understand and identify in real time mm-hmm. situations and how they affect sensations in my body mm-hmm. Um, that might help me have a clue about like what emotional and physical responses I'm experiencing. Yeah. Whereas before I would have defaulted to the thought of like, I am simply insane or defective or this is just how my life is. I'm depressive and therefore this is just something that happens to me sometimes. Mm. And that's actually not true. No, it's not Um, true. Knowing that those things aren't true now and that I can actually have an effect on my body and mind myself if I can catch those signals in time is really helpful because it makes me feel like I am the one who is in charge and I have actual sort of little tricks and tools that I can go, Oh, I'm getting that feeling again. Mm -hmm. Something that I've noticed is a massive sign for me and it's really easy to catch. Do you know when you get, say you get bad news Mm -hmm. and you get that sinking feeling Mm -hmm. I get it really strongly and mm-hmm. it feels like your blood runs cold, your heart drops, your stomach mm-hmm. drops. You kind of go, oh, the wind is knocked out of you. Yeah. That to me is like, hey, that's dorsal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that now I've got my brain has a word for it. Mm-hmm. So it's like the brain and the body meet and I'm able to be like, hey, that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, the world isn't about to fall out from under you. You actually know what to do now. Yeah. And I've got like techniques that I can do, not to counteract it because sometimes it's necessary, um, but just to feel like I know what's going on well, yes, instead of also, feeling like I'm suddenly ill or something. Yeah. I mean, that's why psychoeducation is so good. But also what you're wanting to do there is just is is catch yourself before you go under, yes. you know? So we can all jump into the water. You just want to make sure that you come back up to the surface again. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us are going to fall into the water at some time, you know? Yeah, yeah. But um, whereas you tend towards the dorsal state, um, I am much more the overactivation of the nervous system. And that's essentially what I was working on in therapy was that I couldn't slow down enough mm-hmm. or easily enough. Um, and, you know, that was epitomized by the times when I was having to work so hard to finish the thesis that when I finished it and I thought I would be like, "Ah," actually what happened was I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep a wink that night. I couldn't switch off. I couldn't get my nervous system back down, you know, to a normal level again. So essentially I was working on that in therapy and it is like it has come back around again. It definitely has improved. Um, As well as that, what I find has helped me and I've mentioned this before on the pod is that being in nature and walking in forests helps me back get back into the calm connected state like I literally feel it almost as soon as I go into a forest I could be in a bad mood and and we go into a forest for a walk and I'm like ah this is nice I love Mm. the forest I stay here now (laughs) I live in the forest now 
Um, and then also my Marty and his steady calmness really helps me to regulate. He's Marty is super chill. He's very chill. Yeah. But to return to the chronic stress bit, at the start of the pandemic, I remember someone who decided to take their kids out of school and lock down early. Um, and so they were kind of an anxious person, but they also, there was some underlying health condition. And I remember them saying they would be staying in their house with their kids and not like not even going to the shops. They were getting, everything was going to be dropped at the door for 13 weeks. And I was like, 13 weeks? What? Mm. You know, I thought that was a crazy length of time. But now actually it's been two years. And while we haven't been locked down that whole time, there have been several periods of long lockdowns throughout that. So like there was six months at the start that was essentially... You know, you couldn't have any big gatherings. We didn't go into any places. Yep. Um, gigs were cancelled. So before the pandemic, Marty had a full calendar of gigs, either sound engineering or playing. And those were all cancelled. Then we started doing live streams on Facebook. And during one of those, I remember saying, you know, this situation is one of adapt to survive and we will have to adapt, but we will survive. And we did have to do that. But we didn't realise is we would have to sustain it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. So that's altogether the more challenging bit. In my area of research, there was a paper published, I think it was actually published in 2021, looking at parents with mental illness and the impact of the first lockdown, right? Because what people thought, the, the assumption was that their mental health would be um, negatively impacted by the first lockdown. Yeah. And actually then the surprising results were that these parents' mental illness didn't deteriorate in the first lockdown. In fact, in some cases, it, it improved or it just remained level. And the explanation for this was suggested to be that removing some of the everyday stressors, like the work and school runs, um, actually reduced some pressures on people. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also suggest that there was initially that wartime spirit which was driving us on. However, in my own anecdotal experience, I would say that the results of research into parents' mental health in subsequent lockdowns would be very different. Absolutely. Um, Because even those that coped well in the first one, like myself, coped less well in the second and the third lockdown (laughs) and homeschooling situations. So the prolonged nature of this particular crisis is a significant factor. Absolutely. Yes, you're exactly right. The key phrase that you said there is, we did not realise we would have to sustain it. I think that's what we're all struggling with now. Emma, I'm going to talk about lab rats now. Okay. Is that okay with you? Yes. Because I think a lot of the language we are using here is suggestive of the issue we were having with the long-term effects of stress caused by the pandemic Mm -hmm. and how we're struggling to accept that as an ongoing factor in our daily lives. And naturally so, because we all wanted to go away at this point. Um, But this this idea of repeated chronic worry and stress and a sense that there's little positive outlook to cling to makes me think of we should discuss exactly what stress is Mm. and how we talk about stress in quite a broad way nowadays. And I thought it would be useful to talk about Hans Selye and his rats. Yes. So let's talk about Hans. Hans Selye was a Canadian-Hungarian endocrinologist who if I understand it they work with the hormonal function of the body yes all that stuff that keeps us going Mm -hmm. um I want to preface this by saying I'm still getting out of the habit of thinking of hormones are a woman's problem (laughs) because every human and animal has hormones and they're the thing that makes your body do various functions Mm -hmm. so when you say because I mean not just for pregnancy it's not just for pregnancy or when you have your period they those things happen because of hormones, but men yes. have hormones. If hormones go wrong, bad things can happen in your body, and yes. they help us to they you know they make us work basically. Mm-hmm. So that's what he was all about. He mm-hmm. was researching this. He worked in the late twentieth century, and his work around stress is probably the stuff that best informs how we speak about stress today. Mm-hmm. And I only recently learned this. Um, so Salier was in the business of experimenting on rats, mm-hmm. uh, observing how their their bodies responded to various treatments and um, treatments around hormones and fluctuations therein. What he began to notice is that outside of the expected or hypothesized effects of his experiments, the rats seemed to show gradual lessening of fortitude over time, 
and that was seemingly unrelated to the actual experiments themselves. Mm. So he would say, I'm going to do this experiment. I hypothesize that the change in this hormone will result in X, Y, Z. Then the rats would be exhausted and sick between experiments. Mm. So he was like, what's going on here? Mm. Um, He noticed that over time they would not recover between bites of experimentation, gradually get sick, display signs of exhaustion and eventually die. Which is very sad to think about. Um, At first he thought he might have discovered a new kind of hormonal disorder, but eventually realised it was the repeated experimentations themselves which were causing stress, Mm. which the rats became less and less able to recover from. And ultimately it was the stress that was a main factor that was causing their illness and their deaths. Mm. And he identified three distinct stages to this, which are as follows. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar (laughs) in what we've been talking about. Stage one is alarm, Mm. where the stressor arrives. Mm -hmm. In the rat's case, a big needle injects them with some horrible stuff. Oh, Seems really bad. That's a bad one, yeah. The body displays a stress response, i.e. fight, flight, fawn or freeze. Mm -hmm. This happens... I don't know that rats are doing much fawning, but Probably not. That's more of a social one. (laughs) Yeah. Although they're pretty intelligent, I don't know. This happens outside of our our conscious control so we don't we don't think to ourselves i'm gonna go into fight mode i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna flight this just takes over um because it's our body's response we don't have any initial control over these responses so it's an extremely fast process which is why after like a if you think of a shocking traumatic stressful thing happens to you mm-hmm. people say things like i felt really calm during or i felt kind of numb and mm. then later i crashed um or you feel shaky afterwards that is due to adrenaline. things like adrenaline, cortisol, yeah. all those things are fluctuating. Um, and we often report feeling like time speeds up or slows down because we are not really in our cognitive in that yeah. response. It also makes you thirsty, adrenaline. makes you thirsty. And then afterwards, you might realize that you're suddenly ravenous because mm-hmm. your digestion is kicking back up yeah. when you're in the recovery stage. So that's stage two, resistance. This is when the body begins to adapt. It lowers the amount of cortisol it's releasing, which is your stress hormone. It lowers the heart rate, maybe. Things begin to come back down to a sort of mid-level. It begins to redistribute the energy that it had initially diverted quickly away from normal everyday stuff to respond to the the stressor, the emergency, the event. Mm -hmm. Back towards that nice chill stuff. It's maybe going to try and recover from the big scary shock get back to normal, life goes on, hopefully you are feeling more chill. Mm -hmm. Stage three is exhaustion. This is bad news city. (laughs) (laughs) This stage comes about when the body does not get to do that nice recovery stage and return to what we know as homeostasis. So if repeated stressors keep on arriving, the body does not, it, it doesn't have the recovery opportunity. It's always responding to an alert. Its resources are diverted to the emergency all the time. It becomes depleted, exhausted. It begins to shut down. In the case of many of the rats, Celia saw organ failure and death. And in humans, um, this is hugely associated with cardiovascular issues. Yeah. Um, for various reasons, one of which being, if you're in a state of stress all the time, you make poor decisions. You, <laughs> you do, make poor decisions yeah. around substances, risky behaviour, food. food. Even, yeah. um, you're more likely to go for sugary, salty, fatty foods. Mm. Things that give you an instant bit of energy because you're seeking to replenish what you're losing all the time in your in your sort of crashy stress stress state. Yeah. So pretty bad. Not great. No. All of that sounds quite stressful, yes. ironically. Um, Emma, my point is here, we are the lab rats and COVID <laughs> is Hans Selye's giant needle. <laughs> we keep thinking maybe it's over and things are going to be okay and maybe we can get back to chilling and having fun. Mm-hmm. And then something like a new variant comes along and it beats us back down. Yeah. And I think we are all living proof of the sort of exhaustion stage yeah. this far in. I know, what do you I, think? It's I think you're right. I a little bit gloomy, right. what I've said. Well, I do. I, I think you're right in, in ways. I have a bit of a more positive spin Please. on it. <laughs> um, but also maybe a bit of a solution. I think the thing is, is that it's important to remember we're not rats. We're not rats. That's true. That we have internal resources and coping mechanisms and 
one thing that is certain in life is change. Mm. And I think we're all quite used to change. Uncertainty, we're not very good at coping with. And I think that's a big characteristic of the pandemic has been the uncertainty and the difficulty coping with that. Yeah, that's true. However, there are ways we can build our resources to not let the threat of uncertainty run away with us, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to give a couple of top tips. You know the way we like to do that in this podcast. Um, So basically, in... When you're dealing with a situation that's full of uncertainty, mm-hmm. okay, um, find something that you can control within that situation. So take action over something that you can control. So if you find yourself overwhelmed with the the um, worry that, you know, we won't be able to get any supplies, uh, take out a toilet roll subscription or something like that, you know. Um, buy a few extra cans mm. in, in the supermarket shop and think to yourself, I'm preparing a little bit for the for this, you know, for maybe some eventualities that part of me knows aren't going to happen. But there's part of my body is trying to warn me about, yeah. trying to say, you know, there's a threat here. Mm. So take control over some things that you can um, control. Then also actively deal with your emotions. So like exactly like you were talking earlier, use common techniques, use whatever tools you've already developed and find new ones, learn new techniques, challenge feelings of hopelessness. Don't Mm. allow yourself to wallow in feelings of hopelessness because things will change. Things will be different. Um, Find pleasant, neutral ways to occupy yourself or positive experiences that add into your well-being like exercise Mm -hmm. exercise has made me think that actually what you could probably just do is listen to this podcast and give all of the advice of the past 18 episodes (laughs) a go see what happens might change your life um give us some feedback about that let us know how you get on i would actually recommend mindfulness or she's doing my eyebrows or being in the present you know, something, it doesn't have to be mindfulness and inverted commas, but finding a way to be in the present moment, exploring polyvagal theory mm-hmm. as a way of trying to address the nervous system stuff. Um, just finding a way to address those feelings, not letting them spiral out of control. Yeah. Just that same thing as you don't let yourself, we can all jump in the water <clears throat> as long as we know we're going to come back up to the surface again. Yes. Um, and of course, there is always the option of, therapy you could try therapy you could go to therapy i don't know like for me it's good um i am gonna briefly interject and and make a small amendment to Mm. one thing you said is which is don't wallow don't allow yourself to wallow in hopelessness i actually think doing that for a brief controlled amount of time can be good a brief self-indulgent wallow where you know what you're doing, mm. where you're like, I feel utterly helpless about this situation mm. or like I'm I'm very grief stricken or I'm miserably sad about this thing. There is no harm in feeling that fully as long as you know what you're doing and you say, I, I just need to get this out. I need to have a big cry. I'm going to do the biggest cry available. Um, and it's like completing a loop or something. And I think like that really works for me. But I can see why people don't want to do it because it's really hard. (laughs) Well, I think that what you saying that has made me think of something that I didn't say that I should have said is that everybody's window of tolerance is different. Absolutely. And I know that you can tolerate that. I wouldn't advise anybody, not Mm. anybody to do it, but I would say that you have, you're able to do something, which I would say could not, might not be a good idea for everybody to do. That's actually very true because I'm saying that four years into therapy yeah. and at the start of therapy, that was not an option. Mm. So um, for for the emotional depths explorers out there, mm. maybe go for it if sure. you know what you're about. It's kind of like um, getting into anything. You need to know your limits. Absolutely. Treating it like an endurance sport. But also, if you do need to spend a day in bed or if you do need to like go crazy... And do like an, a frantic dance of extreme excitation and panic. 
don't feel bad about those things because there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, and those things, if you, I think if you do a little kind of exploration adventure with your own emotional responses, knowing that it's normal to have big, mad responses in in the context of a big, mad global pandemic. Yeah. That can be really useful. But yeah, a word of, I guess, caution is advised. Well, what I was saying was, you know, challenge those feelings of hopelessness. So mm. don't allow yourself to get stuck in hopelessness was Absolutely. what, what yeah. I was was trying to sort of say there. Um, because I think it can be, it, it, I've, I've noticed people um, and the way that they are speaking and the things that they are maybe posting on social media indicates that they have allowed themselves to get stuck in negativity uh, about this. And I'm just saying try to avoid that. Like mm. not everybody can, but you know, try if you can to avoid that kind of um, negativity and hopelessness. Um, so we have a problem here, Hannah. Yeah, hit me. Um, and somebody has written in because uh, they knew we were doing a New Year episode. Oh, yeah. And um, it reads thusly. <laughs> Hi, guys. So I just wondered if you could help with the New Year related problem. Basically, I can't get away from this idea of new year slash new me. Not resolutions per se, but more I feel like I have to turn over a new leaf and be a better version of me. Are these just unrealistic standards? A listener. Aw. Um, listen, <laughs> my response to that is time isn't real. So fuck that new year, new me thing. It's, <laughs> I, it's, I, I cannot... Describe how little I care about a New Year's resolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's bullshit. I think we've, as Why a society, not? done away with that nonsense, You would hope we? so, but there is a creeping pressure sometimes that even though I'm... I was talking to someone about this recently, <laughs> like, what is your main motivation in life? Mm. And um, I think mine is contrarianism. Right. Because I, as soon as someone's like, oh, what's your New Year's resolution? I'm like... I'm never going to change a single thing about myself, mm. which is a sort of reactionary thing. But that's Richard Lydon all over on squad. Yeah, it's genetic. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it is. No, I get, I do that as well. Like if people ask me, you know, a hypo, like a question like um, if you had to just have one condiment, which would it be? I'm like, I refuse to choose. I refuse to engage. In this I will not limit exercise. myself to one condiment. Absolutely. <laughs> I will not compromise one iota on my preferences. But, and yes, no, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I, I did them when I was a kid, but I have no real, you know, I, I have no desire to make New Year's resolutions now, uh, nor ever. I can't ever see them being useful to me. They seem superfluous, really. But I I do understand this kind of drive towards wanting to start the new year. I get that even with a week. Like when it's coming up to a Monday, I'm like, I want to start this week well. I'm going to do things differently this week. Or, you know, mm. I feel that. It's that sense of there being a new opportunity to do things in a better way or a more productive way or whatever. Totally. So I do feel that. But I think this person is sort of saying, um, are these just unrealistic standards? You know, are they putting pre undue pressure on themselves at you know, because of the turning of the year sort of thing. Yeah. Big time. Like, it do, you don't need to do it now just because it's January. No. Um, And also, if you have had a difficult Christmas or if January is a difficult month for you, which it is for a lot of people, now might not be the time to enact, a you know, a dramatic new regime of diet or exercise or whatever. Usually I think those are the sort of typical things that people change. Yeah. Um, or there's a lot of language around it, which is about like restriction mm -hmm. and cutting out and cutting down and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I don't know, that all just seems very punishy. Yeah. Um, so don't do that to yourself if that's not really something that works for you. Yeah. I mean, while I don't do resolutions, I do, as I say, like to um, I like to start things at this time of year. Um, like two years ago, I stopped smoking at this time of year and, you know, mm. stuck. Yeah. So that was great. But um, this year, so I am going on a new fitness journey, but 
as you say, there can be a lot of language around this about restriction and dieting. And I mean, diets in general, I think people realize now don't work. Yeah. So what I'm wanting to try and focus on is having more energy, like mm-hmm. feeling better, particularly after this holiday season, I feel, I do feel really like I had too much Prosecco. I ate too many potatoes. Yeah. That's definitely what I feel. Or maybe too many crisps. Definitely had too many crisps. So, you know, I'm wanting to, because that, that's made me feel sluggish. Yes. And, on, on, you know, and I'm tired and I want to feel, and I'm stiff. Mm. So I want to feel physically well. I want to feel strong. I want to feel energized. Yeah. And I get, I feel like that when I do exercise. So big time. it seems like this is a good time to try and start into a reg- regime that I can um, stick to. So I would say, because I can't really say to this person, don't do that. You yeah. shouldn't do that because yeah, yeah. I am doing that. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do it in a, in a healthy way that's not, um, you know, extreme that I'm not going to stick to or isn't negative, isn't about what I'm lacking or what's wrong with me, but is more about I would like to feel better. Yes, absolutely. That's a really nice approach. It's not an opportunity. Resolution should not be seen as an opportunity to correct something you've been doing wrong for the past year what about I think my approach just as you were speaking there um I wasn't listening I was thinking about myself that's okay (laughs) no I was thinking about like what if I were pressed to sort of set an intention for the new year Mm. what would that be and I genuinely think it's just to continue doing what I've been doing and continue to go to therapy try to be nice um, continue to be a righteous babe. Like, is that enough to just continue to do as I've been doing? I think so. Yeah. I think I just loved your uncertainty about the trying to be nice thing. Like, <laughs> maybe depends. I was like trying to think of all the sort of changes I've made in my like approach to relationships and friendships in the past year, and that all seemed to be easier to sum up and just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> not that Don't I'm be usually a dick. not that I'm usually a massive bitch or anything, yeah. but like uh I yeah. I would say I definitely our, think I mean knowing you personally and you know, having spent time with you in this past year, I think you carrying on doing what you're doing would be a great I think that would be very good. I would be nice in 2021. <laughs> be a nice girl to me, please. Be nice, R. Um, but I would say to our writer inner, we totally understand the impulse. Mm. Um, what about just continuing to do what you've been doing well? That's that is really good advice, and I think that also don't beat yourself up if you feel I want to do you know something differently it's resisting the urge to for that to be some kind of self-criticism mm-hmm. is the important part I think do you notice that when I'm answering the the problems I will speak towards the piece of paper where it's written down have you noticed <laughs> I do that now that you mentioned it actually I'm genuinely yeah. directing this to you um writer in her you know, just go easy on yourself, pretty much. We've all had a really hard time. And while some yeah. people launched into the pandemic and got went on some kind of crazy fitness journey where they got really, really ripped, a lot of other people didn't do that. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's fine. That's yeah. totally fine. So just keep on being gentle with yourself always, I think, really. Yeah. Let's all just be gentle with ourselves. And if you need to do Burger King and crying of a day, that's absolutely fine. You can get ripped the next day. Yeah. You can do it. What about a New Year's, no, New Year's resolution, but you do it every single day? Like you wake up and you're like, today will be the day that I start this. And you do like a high octane. That's insane. I, think, I don't know why I'm I think we that. might have been overactivating the nervous system in that case. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just bring it back into a calm, connected place. The genuinely the calm connected thing um, and regulating your nervous system, you know, you may have heard people for many decades talk about things like meditation and yoga. And those people have may have seemed like sanctimonious arses, but mm. actually 
they were onto something. Yes. And what they were onto was trying to have your nervous system be in a state where you can be calm, you can be social, you can be connected. So you're not having to stress out and you're not, you know, curled up in a ball somewhere. Totally. That's what we're all really aiming for. And don't worry if you go through different stages in a day where you visit those stages. That's totally normal as well. Absolutely. So I don't know what our take home message is. Um Really here, Hansel, be gentle on yourself. Keep doing all the awesome stuff you've you've been doing. Yep. Get to know about the polyvagal. Have a look into that theory. And remember that time isn't real. Yeah, fuck time, man. Fuck time. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Thanks Therapy. Therapy. I'm ready now. Great. For it. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. I actually just ate a crisp. <laughs> Sorry. Why did you do that? I don't know. I this was being silly. Okay. <laughs> talking about her own situation, she's talking about um, what we are struggling with in our current culture. Why are you laughing? Because she said the way you said situation. Situation. <laughs> I was hoping we could just gloss over that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, you edit I it, put please. a marker in. Will I say situation? You said it norm- more normally. I said it like six times. It's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you one for safety. 